Hello everyone, Robbie here and welcome to episode 6 of the Coach's Journey podcast with Joel Monk. Uh, Joel is a transformative coach who takes leaders beyond the limits of conventional success. Uh, he first came across coaching when he moved into a house with a coach and when when the coach explained what he did, Joel's soul spoke to him and he set off on a journey which has led him now to coaching bank CEOs, TV personalities and me. Um, alongside that, Joel and his co-founder, Lawrence Van Ala, created Coaches Rising, which is a pioneering training organization. Um, they now have a community of over 19,000 coaches across the world. Uh, Joel hosts an amazing podcast through Coaches Rising, uh, and they run some of the best and best value coach trainings that I've ever done. And all this means Joel has spent time with many, if not most, of the most forward-thinking people in the world of coaching. And that's given him perspectives on everything about coaching, from enrolling clients to, you know, a, a real myriad of, of coaching techniques to the newest and most advanced ideas at the cutting edge of what makes great coaching. And I, I hope that this conversation leans into that space at times uh, too. So in this episode, we talk about how problem solving and goal setting can be traps that coaches fall into with their clients and what to do instead. Uh, we talk about Joel's three pieces of advice, a little bit like Katrina Horry did a few episodes ago. Uh, comes right at the end, three pieces of advice for those who are new to coaching and coaches on on how to develop their, their work and their business. Uh, we also touch on why Joel thinks... Well, he has faith that sincerity, dedication to the craft and putting time in can make amazing things possible in anyone's life, but including in coaches. Uh, we get into some uh, great stories about Joel's life, how he ended up living out of his loose change jar, how hard that was, but also how being broke helped him change his story about money. He tells a story about how uh, the role a tantric sex retreat played and him getting the most rewarding coaching gig he's, he's done to date. Um, Plus, we get into a conversation about the role that coaching has to play in the world today uh, with the particular strange, complex and sometimes unsettling place that it is and challenge challenges that it faces. Uh, I should say that we, because of who we are and the conversation we have, we end up name-checking a lot of different coaches, thinkers, uh, leaders, authors, those kind of things, just to say they, like always, are in the show notes. Wherever you're listening to this, there should be some information, or if not, you can find it at thecoachesjourney.com. Uh, also, in other notices and housekeeping, there's still time to join the Coaches Journey Group Coaching Program 2020. Um, so that's the program where the name of the podcast originated. Um, it's a six-month group coaching experience that I lead, and it starts with free um, opportunities to experience group coaching with me there at the end of January, start of February. So if you're curious about that, or if you know anyone who you think might want support to really grow their coaching business in 2020, uh, to deepen their practice, uh, just send them to thecoachesjourney.com all the information loads of information about the program there and also how to sign up to experience group coaching with me so that you really know what the program will be like um anyway enough chat from me enough notices and housekeeping but just to say i'm really uh, excited uh, to share this podcast with you the work that i did with joel a few years ago was absolutely instrumental in, in getting me where i am practically in getting my business off the ground through his amazing challenge but also his care uh, and it, the insights the sense of possibility that was sparked by his work then 
uh, is still running in my life with the two books that I'm going to publish this year. Both of those originated the ideas for them in different ways in the conversations that Joel and I had. So I can't wait to get to introduce them to you. And yeah, I really hope you enjoy the Coach's Journey podcast, episode six with Joel Monk. So Joel, welcome to the Coach's Journey podcast. Thanks very much. It's good to be here, Robbie. Yeah. Like when I selected the people to invite for the first few of these, as I'm experimenting with what is a podcast, what's it like to host one, all those things. uh, I pick people that, you know, one of the things I wanted to do partly was pick people that have been in some way part of my journey and get a chance to invite them uh, and introduce them to the perfectly formed however big audience that listens to this ends up listening to this podcast so it's really lovely to have you here because uh, you were my coach for like two or three engagements I think over about 18 months mm-hmm. um, and at a really f- fundamental time in my journey and also through your business your coaches rising you know I've done three I think or four of the programs that you do and, and that's been really influential yeah well yes i'm you know we know each other well and i'm I'm just delighted to be here because we we always have great conversations so i'm touched you know i'm touched to have been part of your journey yeah really big part we, we might get into that who knows but i want to start from a kind of random place in some ways but an interesting one in others which is like when did you first come across coaching yeah well um that would be a long time ago and um, maybe a little bit of a uh, before that, I uh, I've been working as a community artist for many years. I trained as an artist at university, and I wasn't particularly a great artist. But with these groups of people I would work with, I um, I I was good at getting them to create. You know, I'd work with young offenders, with old people, with kids, such a wide variety. And one of the things I could often get them to do is to create something that they, they were surprised by. And at the same time, I'd, I'd gotten into spirituality and psychology. And, and then I heard about this thing called coaching. I think it was maybe uh, 15 years ago or something. And it was um, kind of um, uh, an older guy I was living with uh, who was a coach, working as a coach. And I moved in and he you know, told me what he did. And I was like, that's it. That's the thing that um, that, that, that encapsulates everything I care about and that I'm good at. And, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but it was in, in that moment, I just knew that's what I wanted to do. It was just, um, there was no deliberation. It was just a commitment to being a coach. It sounds like that was partly because you, you realized that's what you'd been doing already. But was the, like, how did you know what in that moment? Do you remember? Yeah. I mean, I think it, you know, to use a word that um, spoke to my soul, you know. So, so on the deepest level, that's how I knew, you know. There was just this, this kind of inner knowing, and um, and and then, yeah, you know, it did. It just, it just, I just recognized that this was something I wanted to do, and that intrinsically, I had a sense I would be good at, and and that I was like, oh, that, you know, I, I remember thinking like, oh, that, that's what I'm actually doing with these people, you know. It's like. I mean, I wasn't coaching them in the way I coach now, but I was like connecting deeply to them, having them feel seen and and having them land in a sense of 
possibility, you know, where they're actually often coming in with a, with, you know, a lot of issues and, and, um, you know, a sense of impossibility. So, yeah. And, and there is something about creativity and coaching, which feel very linked to me. I mean, of course, you know, we could, we could talk about that in lots of ways. Right. But what comes to mind is I remember writing a piece during one of our engagements, actually, it was, you know, uh, a piece which I shared online. And one of the things I realized or as I wrote that, or when I shared it was something about how was something about a shift to possibility and that being partly about agency. And it was really interesting that I watched a, like a TEDx talk by a woman I do some work with about a year after that talking and that her company is about everyday creativity. And she said exactly the same thing essentially about creativity, which is, you know, one of the things is if you help someone be creative, even in a tiny way, they see that they can create something from nothing. And they realize through that, the kind of sense of agency and hope, which creates a real shift. For them. Yeah, I think that's, that's incredible. You know, I love what you're saying there. And that's what a gift, huh? What a yeah. what a gift! Like that, I've I've had that from people that have worked with me, and it's such, you know, if that's one one of the things I want my clients to get is that sense of agency and and a sense of possibility. And you know, I know we've been both inspired by um, Rosamund Sanders' work, and you know, it goes deep that you know, like actually, if you if we, if we look at how deeply we can become creators of our life, and actually that it's in some ways it's a game, you know, and, and that, um, that, that, that's quite a profound journey to go on. And yet in the moment too, you know, it's just very practical. It's like, yeah, what, what's possible here? So, yeah. And how much of a sense of that did you have at the time, 15 years ago, when you came across this guy you were living with and he was coaching and it's like, there's something here about the, the work that I'm already doing. And this thing is kind of calling, speaking to me. How much of that sense then did you have about how important that was? About the the sense of um, creativity and possibility. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, I, I'm not sure, you know, I, like um, perhaps, perhaps like unconsciously, like I, it was very in tune or aligned with, you know, my way of being on a, on a core level. Um, and at the same time, you know, like back then I was so young, much younger and, um, really living in a lot of victimhood a lot of the time, you know, I mean, I was a nice guy and everything, but you know, my, a lot of the, uh, responses to the world I had was like, ah, um, I don't have that kind of agency. So, um, and yet, you know, and yet, yes, and on a, on a level like I, I, I just, I, I'd always love being an artist. I'd always love creating something from, from nothing, and 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 so, in when I was an artist, that's what I, that's what brought me alive. You know, as I'd sit in my studio painting the whole day, and I'd get into these flow states, and I would be, you know, it would be a whole body experience, a full being experience, and so you know, I was working that capacity. And so, you know, like that was inside of me as well. And, and, and I knew that that's what I wanted more of in my life. And that's an important part of my coaching now. And it's something I want for, from, for many people, you know, is to be in that kind of creative expression, um, uh, you know, that, that whatever's the most authentic way for, for you, you know, that it's, that you have that. Hmm. Yeah. It's beautiful. And so then, then what happened next? You discover this thing and it spoke to you. What did you, how did you follow that thread? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I, I like think back to this guy and sometimes I'm like, oh, I, you know, we had a beautiful connection and he was like 10, 12 years older than me. And, but, you know, I just started going on some of the trainings that he was on, you know, <laughs> so I was like, I didn't know anything about what to do, but he was going to London to do this training. I was like, well, I'll join that, you know? So I just started training as a coach, did a training in Manchester as well with uh, a woman called Rivka Rubin, who actually reached out to me again recently. That was kind of a nice loop coming back. Mm. What was the name of the guy that you lived with? Um, he was called he was called Artavardin. He was actually um, ordained in the the Western Buddhist order. So I don't, I can't have rem- remember his real name because he went by that name. Yeah. So he you know he was um, and I moved in there because uh, he you know I wanted to be in a household where with practicing Buddhists. You know, and we meditated every morning and. Actually, you know, I mean, I'd come out of a very difficult part of my life where things really broke down and, and I basically didn't really like myself and and went on this kind of journey. And, and part of that was moving in that house with him. And so it was a very um, beautiful time for me. And um, so, yeah, you know, I think, think what came online then, well, what had already come online, and I think this is really important for coaches, and I see that with coaches, is that hunger for learning. So, so what happened next, you know, was I was um, going on trainings, although I was pretty broke, you know, I was like 25 or something, 27. Um, and uh, I was just reading everything, you know, like devouring stuff, listening to podcasts of Fred Kaufman coaching on Integral Naked and, uh, you know, really into Ken Wilber stuff, just just kind of soaking up what I could. And um, yeah. Uh, and and um not really having a lot of clients <laughs> so, yeah you know yeah just just doing a lot of free coaching and um my coaching didn't really take off until i came to amsterdam that that's when i started to do it more seriously so yeah i think i feel like i took a long route into my coaching journey you know i see i see the route that you took i was like really impressed with you you know it's like <laughs> wow robbie's actually just He's going for it. You know, he's clear about what he wants he's, and he's getting out there and he's creating this business and um, you did it in, in a way shorter time. So, and I, th- I think what you're creating here is a great service to coaches, you know, that, because I, if you learn about growing a coaching practice, you can save yourself a lot of pain. And so I took a long route. Yeah. So, and <laughs> if you don't mind me asking, what was the, like, you can go through a lot of pain in that time. Is yeah. there something that's coming to mind as you say that, some experiences from that? Uh, so, you, so you moved to Amsterdam quite a while ago now, right? Like t- yeah. 10 years 10, or so? 11 years ago, yeah. yeah. So, th- so there's maybe four years before that where yeah. of that period of it, of it going slowly. Yeah. What, what were the difficult times then? Well, you know, like I think for me, I was, um, let me say like, so it might sound a bit contradictory. So I, decided, I knew I wanted to be a coach, but I didn't uh, throw myself wholeheartedly in growing a coaching practice. You know, I was still working as a community artist and, you know, dabbling, like practicing with, with clients. Um, uh, so, so it wasn't like I was like, okay, this is it, you know. Um, so um, when I came to Amsterdam, then, then I started to, to, you know, I was getting a bit older and, you know, it was feeling like this is the right time to start, start building a practice. And 
but I was broke, you know. Again. Other, than, other than being older, sorry, let's catch that, and then then we can go back to being broke. But uh, other than being older, do you remember what what was it that made that transition from? Okay, there's this thing that I'm doing. It's alongside the art, which I've been doing for a long time, and this community work. But now it's time to start building a practice. What was? Do you remember what that shift was? Or it's hmm. a good question. I think. Uh, I think it was a, a combination of things. I think, it, you know, it was a definitely that I, when I moved to Amsterdam, I found myself in a kind of more conscious community than when, when I was in Manchester and um, people who were working in as coaches or who were uh, working, doing consultancy work in businesses. And so that being, you know, immersed in that environment kind of allowed me to, um, have that part of myself met more in a way or, or like it was like oh, I saw this is this is a real possibility and um, partly was it was like a growing sense of agency I think you know so just getting a bit older getting this sense of like oh yeah yeah this is this is something that it's possible for me to create and I'm, I don't think it's that agency is necessarily connected with age. You know, I think sometimes it is, but for me, for me, it felt like it was. So yeah, it was just, that, I think it was a mixture of things. Um, and maybe something about coming out of that difficult time, I guess if you had a really difficult time and then there was the kind of work, you know, that you did or, or work is probably the wrong word, but that ne- a next phase of something and then something new. Yeah. In a way, like my, you know, if I, I would say like, coming to Amsterdam um, really was the making of me in a way. And because I left my country, I came to a new place. I didn't have a job. I didn't have any money and I had to make my own way. And it, and it surfaced a lot of my, my kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, victimhood tendencies. I don't know if there's a better word for that, but it's like, you know, it was hard. And at times I just complained about it. And, um, and so it's like why, why I'm saying this is because actually it's like it, it, I went through a really hard time. And then there was this period where I, had, I was living in this household, the Buddhist household, doing the trainings and meditating. That was actually felt like a very kind of transformative time. And then coming to Amsterdam, yes, the coaching started to pick up. And I got really dropped into like having to work with all my kind of tendencies to to blame the outside world for for me not creating what i wanted and that was that was actually very powerful and then the next phase which came which was my in my coaching practice really starting to take off more and um you know to have more clients and more impact on my clients you know i think i think the the point underneath this is like the deep inner work you know that that's so essential that coaches have done, you know, that, that as coaches, we are like our own, um, you know, we're an instrument and, and the more deeper work we've done, the more we can impact our clients and support them. So that was really like a, a tough time again, but it, but it, it, yeah, it was deep work as well. Yeah. It sounds like, and I, this is, I think this has certainly been my experience as well, that, um, running a business especially a business where you have to sell yourself and your attention and all these things is a pretty good way of making sure you deal with a load of your shit, basically. Right. 
<laughs> like it sounds like that happened for you. It's like, okay, I'm here and no, it's the right thing to go to Amsterdam or, or maybe you didn't know that, but I'm, I'm here in Amsterdam. Okay, I'm going to have to, if I want to make any of this work, I'm going to have to do this inner work. Yeah, like I'm curious for you, what 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 did you learn on that in that way? You know, building your business. Hmm, good question. I mean, it just feels like for me, it has brought me up against a load of the kind of edges of what I thought I was capable of. And some of those edges I just never thought about before. And some of them were stories that I had about what I could or could not do. And actually, because I've just done last night, I did a 20 minute, um, a 20 minute workshop on an online community thing about the 12 minute writing practice, the train writing practice, which we created together. And the way I told that story was, um, you know, which I think is true. It'd be interesting to see, actually. You could tell me now if this is complete lies and this is not how you remember it at all. My memory was I was feeling real resistance so i'd read stephen pressfield and the war of art and one of the things he says is the place where you feel the greatest resistance is the place which is the most important for your soul's evolution and i was feeling all this resistance and anxiety about sharing myself online and then from that we created it because it's like well i need to be visible if i'm not visible in my business it's going to be really hard and i don't have to be like as visible as someone who's got a million Facebook ads running, but it, it's going to be hard for me to be successful in this work. If I am this worried, feeling stressed, physically anxious about sharing myself online. And then we designed a practice to kind of break through that, which, you know, years later is, is still running and has been really transformational for me, but it started from running right up against something. And uh, that is one of the things that I've learned, I think. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think you beautifully described that journey, you know, that, that, that mine was different and sa- the same, you know, that, um, you know, I was confronted by my insecurities about myself, you know, like, am I worthy to be uh, successful or to be a good coach, you know, to be a successful coach? Am I worthy to be coaching these people that I want to be coaching? Um, you know, like uh, my orientation around comfort and um, and security that, that we're also challenged because it's it's a risk. You have to step out. And if you make yourself visible, then that's also a risk, isn't it? You're, you're standing up and saying, this is who I am and what I believe. And that's, the, that's exactly the stuff that started to get surfaced. And there's so many bits of it, aren't there? Because there's there's the financial side of it. It's like, how do I how do I live with the fact that I no longer get if, well, actually maybe this was different for you. So I'd always been paid a salary. And so I was, I had to deal with the fact that, Oh, I don't know when the money's going to come and some months, no money is going to come. <laughs> and in the at first, how the hell do you deal with that? And then what I've realized, I'm like four and a half years into coaching business. It still stresses me out on the months or the two months or the th- were still three, four months where very little money is coming. But now after four and a half years, I know that that is a, there is a pattern of peaks and troughs and I found ways to kind of mitigate the troughs basically. Yeah. But, but I don't know, maybe that was different for you, that particular one, because if you'd worked as an artist, you had more of that feeling of sometimes maybe yeah. all the time there's no money. I don't know. Well, I, I, I did all right with the uh, being an artist. Um, and yeah, you know, like my, my story around that, my journey with that was I never had a 
salary ever in my life. I've never had a, a job with a you know a contract and a salary. I think I worked in the Royal Bank of Scotland once for like two weeks in their like credit card department, and I, I like at the end of the two weeks on the Friday afternoon, uh, I, I was like, "What the hell am I doing?" And then I stood up and and I was like, "I've got to get out of here. This isn't me." And I just walked out, you know. And that's not like me, you know. I'm not necess- I'm not always that spontaneous. So, and um, the woman walked me out the building, and she was like, "Good for you. Get out of here." The woman that, that led the training, I thought she was going to be she was going to be really angry. So, um, yeah, I've that's always a great, that's such yeah. a great little story. Well, and interestingly enough, the next day I got a, a big job doing um, community artwork. Like literally the next day, it was like really, you know, one of those synchronistic kind of events, but, but a confirmation for me. So, but yeah, I, I basically, um, my relationship with money and that just changed a few years ago. And um, I, so I was like used to living in that cycle you're talking about, you know, I was in the extreme end, you know, like often not having a lot of money. Uh, I was good at finding little bits of work here and there to kind of supplement me whilst I was trying to grow my coaching practice. And um, uh, so, so yeah, I, I, and I also built that trust that you're talking about. I, I, I'd somehow gotten used to like, yeah, the, the, um, it, it, I've been in, I've been broke, you know, and it was okay. Now I wouldn't want to go back there and I, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. And, you know, it was a valuable lesson for me in learning that, yeah, actually, there's so much support in the environment I live in that that it, that I was okay. So, um, but it's a it's a it, it's I think it's a big one, you know. Like it's a big one if you're if you're feeling stressed and so any coaches out there, you know, if you like Rich Litvin is someone we've both learned from, and I remember him saying, um, you know, actually it's okay to have work that brings puts food on the table because it's very hard to enroll clients if you need them if you're feeling you're in the survival place uh, you know because that's really going to come through in an enrollment conversation so um I, you know i was painting houses and stuff when i moved to amsterdam and actually i ended up you know having people working for me painting houses so um yeah yeah and and then it was such a relief when you know i started to make a regular income from from my coaching business too, you know? So, yeah. 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 There's so many places we could jump off that job, but let's go, let's go there. What you came to Amsterdam, you did some painting houses. And I also, I love the little aside that your entrepreneurial side was starting to come off. Like somehow you ended up yeah. doing well enough at that, that you had some people working for you. Like that's, that's going to be, I'm presuming that's, that's part of the, your story, right? There's something interesting there, but what, you came part, you developed in Amsterdam and maybe it's a little bit like we were talking about at the start. You saw other people in a more conscious community who were doing this work and you kind of realized, ah, it's possible. I could do this. Do I want to? And it sounds like the answer is yes. But how did you move then from through that period to the point where the coaching business became more successful and, and you moved more towards where you are now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think it was it was a result of the the inner work that, and I, maybe you recognize this too. But it's it, just at some point, I started to land inside my own kind of sovereignty, my own um, my own power, you know, like a confidence, a kind of confidence in 
in who I am, a clarity in more clarity in what I stood for. And, um, and that started to show, I think. So, um, yeah. So I think that's just one of those really significant moments in, in anyone's journey is when you just start to believe, you know, you start to trust your own, your own power and your own authority and, um, your own sense of being able to create. Yeah. And I really, yeah, that does feel true to me. I guess what I'm interested in though, is what specifically for you helped you right. get to that point? Well, yeah. Um, bunch of stuff like, like, let me, let me share one. Like this is, so I landed a huge coaching, um, um, gig and, it was very serendipitous and, you know, like I'd basically just come out of um, a tantric sex retreat. Right. And so um, I, say, I say that because I was thinking about it. I was like, oh, that's a bit edgy to share, you know, because it was quite it was quite full on, you know, like yeah. I won't share details, but it was it was like not, your, you know, not kind of fluffy retreat. It was quite intense. Now, I share that because that was that was deep work. And it, it was deep embodiment work and it landed me down, down in my body, you know, and, and um, like it just gave me a sense of presence. And, you know, this is one of those things that landed me in my own power, my own authority. So I came out of that retreat and uh, immediately I, I ended up in a conversation with these people who were running this, this creative leadership school called Think. And, you know, these were um, much older than me, kind of ex-McKinsey guys, real serial entrepreneurs. And at the time I was like 35 years old. And, you know, I could see they were testing me because they were like, you, you're going to be, if you're going to be, I'm going to give you some clients. You're going to be coaching people who are 45, 50 years old. Have you got the chops for that? You know, are you, are you going to be able to be sitting in a space with those people? And I think I, I, you know, I was, I demonstrated to them that that's what I was capable of through the, through the conversations I had with them and that, you know, the, the deep work I did on that retreat, you know, it was a, a direct impact for me, connection, um, yeah, it's so funny. It's so interesting. Like I, I didn't know that was the connect. I didn't. I didn't know about that connection. And but but it it feels very true to me. I um when I did some reflection last year on on the the most important things shifts ideas for coaches to to get to a, a sustainable business. One of the things I thought about was do your own work, right? And when I one of the stories I thought about when I thought about that was like a very similar one to that, except without the tantric sex retreat. But you know, with my own in a work that I'd done in different ways. Cause I remember getting offered a couple of, there was a couple of kind of quite big gigs that helped me transition, feel, that helped me feel comfortable about the finances when I transitioned to full time. And I just hadn't, when I sat, I just got offered them basically. And I, at the time I was like, what is going on? Like, do I really have the track record to be offered these things? All those imposter syndrome questions running through your head. And, my reflection looking back is that they could feel it. They could feel the work that I'd done basically. Right. And, you know, I wouldn't say I was by any stretch completely confident, or, you know, I'm doing air quotes on that, whatever that even means, but it's like there was the facing of fear and the, the working on myself 
must be. In fact, I do know this a little bit because I did ask one of the people. It was like, why? And she said, well, I just got a feeling that you were the kind of person I wanted to work with. It's like, wow. Well, you can't, you can't plan for that except by being the kind of person that people would want to work with. And some of that comes from embodiment and presence and all those things you've talked about. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it to me, if like, if people were listening and newer, you know, newer coaches and they were thinking about what is something that I can do that would have a, you know, a, a direct impact on me becoming a successful coaching entrepreneur, it would be this inner work, you know, this embodiment work. Um, it would be, um, learning you know developing the presence to sit in those situations that you just talked about because i uh, i've had a number of those situations you know where it's like ooh, you get invited into something and you're like oh crap that's like that's beyond my pay grade right now <laughs> and 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 you know you have to you say yes to it you've got to grab those moments you know and um and i think um, so, so maybe I'm diverging a little bit, but that's another thing I would say is like, you put yourself, like get yourself out there, you know? Yeah. What, what were some ways that you got yourself out there or put yourself out there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think this was one of them, you know, this, this, this felt like putting myself out there. Yeah. Um, and, and the way that I got it was very, um, again, serendipitous. I, I actually went in to meet them because we haven't talked about Coaches Rising. This, but through that business, they'd reached out to me and said, can you help us put our work online? And I was, I, I'd heard about the project and I was like, okay, uh, this is great, but this is very entrepreneurial. I don't have, I don't want to step in as an entrepreneur in this project. So, uh good luck with it. I haven't got the, the capacity. And on my way out, I, I saw somebody in the, just across the room and we, our eyes connected and, you know, nine times out of 10, I would have just walked out of the building, but for some reason I walked over and we got talking and, you know, he was a great guy and he was like, Oh, you know, they're looking for coaches here too. And you should connect to Rajiv. So uh, that's what happened. You know, we reached out to Rajiv and we set something up and I ended up in, 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 you know, some conversations with some people who wanted to create something very serious, you know, and, and, and with a big mission and vision behind it. And uh, I think, you know, like, what, for example, that retreat I talked about, that helped me to, to really like own what I most cared about and to speak that out to those people. And not to hide, to say like, yeah, I, I deeply care about coaching these people and about the role that entrepreneurs, creative entrepreneurs can play in the world and helping us navigate these times. You know, and it, um, so, so that, that would be, that'd be one example. You know, I, I want to come clean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm not like this super, uh, you know, courageous dude, you know, like I'm not, I'm not like I, 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 I find it intimidating to put myself out there. And, uh, you know, I'm very grateful about the opportunities that have come my way to build a coaching practice. But I, but I, I don't want to make, you know, don't, I just want to be honest. Like I find it super edgy to put myself out there and, um, you know, get, on, get into certain situations. And there's something inside of me that just seems to say yes to certain things when I get offered something. And um, I appreciate that about myself. I'm not sure where it comes from. 
but it, but it's, yeah, you know, sometimes I've kind of blagged it a little bit, you know, Oh, could you do this, Joel? Uh, could you run this entrepreneurial workshop for these leaders? I did those kind of things before I was a successful entrepreneur. I just said, yeah. And I prepared the hell for it, you know, and, um, and, and it was a success, you know? So, yeah. Well, I like, it definitely wasn't, you know, I guess I've tried to do that as well. It's, but, but the quote that comes to mind, I think I heard Tim Ferriss say it wasn't his thing, but it was on a Ferriss podcast was, yeah, if, if I never done anything that I wasn't qualified for, unless I've messed the negatives up there, if I had never did anything, I wasn't underqualified for I'd still be pushing a broom right you know, that's the only thing I'm qualified for at, at scratch pretty much yeah so you have to be you have to be out of your like perfectly ready for space otherwise you never move anywhere but it sounds like there's something yeah I really like that appreciation of the part of you that goes uh yes uh, and then quickly rushes off to prepare frantically for the workshop yeah I mean I remember uh I remember getting offered the opportunity to coach the founder and CEO of a huge um, uh, online business, a bit like booking.com, but it was different. It was a rival. And, uh, you know, I was like 30 years old, 29 years old. And, um, you know, I I was out of my debt, really, you know. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, okay, great. You know, and, and we had like two, three conversations uh, in the end, we didn't like engage in something longer. And I think that was right. You know, I think I, I, that's where I was out of my depth. You know, I think he was like, okay, this, you know, fair play. I got in there with two, three conversations. Um, and then I think he just felt like that, that this guy can't really serve me in the way that I'm looking for. But, you know, it's doing those things, you know, where you're like, what the hell am I about to do? That I think, yeah, it's what life's, well, it's part of life, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I, there's this story that's come to mind twice now, so I'm going to tell it. I saw, um, I think it's, we're talking about courage in some ways. And I saw Jamie Wheel speak a few weeks ago. He's like, uh, mm, he doesn't know, he's a really interesting guy. He wrote a book called, uh, I've forgotten what it's called, but it's about Stealing flying. Fire. Stealing Fire. Yeah. And he was speaking about the book he's working on at the moment. And he talks about this study they've just done where they're testing mice. Uh, so this is bad if you don't like that kind of thing but they're testing mice and they they found this part of the brain in the mouse if they stimulate it the mouse is like more addicted to that than they are to cocaine and to sugar and i think to sex right and the part of the brain was courage oh this is why james so this he this is his way of saying why he's hopeful about the world because if we can help people tap into their courage then they will become. They might become more addicted to that than they are to the dopamine of their phones and all these things. And we might solve the problems. And then he told this amazing story about what happens when you stimulate these mice, these mice's yeah, brains, right? <laughs> which is that you've got this. They have this the mouse in the cage, and then this uh, like the shadow of a hawk flies over. And normally, obviously, the mice just scatter. But if you stimulate the courage bit of the brain, right, the hawk flies over, and the mouse turns around looks up as it as if to say bring it <laughs> it's just like such a great story i got like little shivers and, J- yeah. and jamie was like tears in his eyes at that moment it was kind of amazing because because of the hope that comes from the courage of of all creatures but the possibility for humans if we can all tap into that and i think that courage you know being willing to face it that might have been one of the things that was pulling you on in those moments it's like yeah. okay it's scary but it's also amazing.
to get oh, yeah. through, to, to do those things the way you're out of your depth and go, whoa, I just ran that workshop or I just, yeah, for me, it's like I was on, so the thing I did last night was on Seth Godin's online communities. It's like, whoa, I just did a 20 minute workshop for 98 people on Seth Godin's community. Like the world looks different now once you've had that rush and, and the same with sitting down with the CEO of the massive website three times, you know? Yeah. Well, let me ask you about that. Cause like, I think it's something very important that you're saying. So that rush, you know, um, I'm curious what that is for you because for me, um, it's not just like, it's not just courage and it's not just like, Oh yeah. Like a kind of, um, certain kind of success where it's like, Oh, look at me, you know, like I did that important thing. No, I think it's also like it's when you start to live in alignment with with who you are, you know, on a deep, on a core fundamental level. And there, there's just this feeling you get of like, yes, you know, and we, before the call, we were talking about aliveness, you know, and create or maybe in the call creativity and aliveness. But, you know, that's to me that that kind of expression of who we are is something that we are um, deprived of in this world at the moment, you know, the meaning crisis. And, um, and, and so I think it's like, that's one of one of the reasons that I'm incredibly hopeful, uh, for with coaches, you know, that like coaches rising, we like one of the things we want to do is empower the world's coaches. Cause I, I believe coaches can play a powerful role in these times, you know? And so, uh, so, so I think that, that that's something you're speaking to in this, you know, it's not just courage for courage's sake, it's courage for our own unfoldment into the fullness of who we are. And there's nothing more, nothing more meaningful and fulfilling than that in our lives. And so I, I, I want to back that back and curious for you, like being on Seth, that dude, I'm respect, man. I mean, good it was you, it, like, it was a great moment of pick yourself, you know, which is a Seth Godinism, I think, really, is they would yeah. they, they did a very quick. Uh, I'll tell it quickly, and then I want to come back to what you said. They did a really quick turnaround of uh, okay, we've decided to run an online conference for all the alumni of all our programs. Uh, we're going to do it next week. <laughs> um, who wants to do something? Basically, there'll be twenty minute slots, and I was like, because I'm working right now on turning the the train writing practice into a book. Which I, I can't remember if I said this to you, which I'm going to call, I wrote this book in 12 minutes, which I think is hilarious. I feel like I've, got, I've now got something to stand on. When someone says, do you want to talk about something for, for 20 minutes? It's, it's really easy with that now to go, yeah, I could talk about this. And I think people will like it. So I picked myself and, and, and did it. And I think that you're right. There is a sense, you know, it's interesting what, the way you finished what you said just then was exactly what crossed my mind as you were speaking as well, which is, um, there is a sense of courage, yeah, to allow ourselves to unfold, I think is something like the language you used. Yeah. And that is different. And there is something about the restrictions on that, on, on a, how we allow ourselves to unfold or what we allow ourselves to be in all kinds of ways. And allow is a word which might not be quite right, I don't know. But there is something about that that is a real a very current issue right now, which, which taking those opportunities when they come, when they feel right. Um, and I think this is probably another part of that inner work, you know, 
over the last five years, uh, more than that, whatever it is, seven, eight years since I started my gradual shift into this, into what I'm doing now, is understanding what is me unfolding <laughs> and understanding what is nothing to do with that, but I just kind of think would be think would be what I should want or what I do want or all those things. Yeah. Um, and... And I think it also speaks to, you know, I love that thing you said a few minutes ago about one of the things that the retreat had given you was a connection to why this is all important to you and what you stand for. And to gradually learn that. I think that's another gift of another tough uh, thing to try and do and go through, but gift of running an, a coaching business is you have to make decisions about how you talk about your work and what's important to you and how you're going to do that. And you have to decide, do I do this thing over here or do I do this thing over here and what do I choose? And over the time, it, not straight away, because first probably a couple of years for me were mainly about how do I do more of this work? But in this kind of last year or so particularly, it's become really like, yeah, what what's this about? Mm. Like, what, do, what am I here for and, and why and how do I want to contribute in the next phase and when you get those things together you get the courage the sense of yourself unfolding and the alignment with right yeah this is it this is why this is important yeah then that's a beautiful thing yeah yeah well um you know just just the, um, an example there of you putting yourself out there you know being in being out there and, and creating opportunities you know um just to speak into that for a moment, because I think that's a lot of, you could say like, what are the steps to building a coaching business? And, I've, you know, we can talk more about that. And for sure, it's great to learn from people about building a coaching practice. You know, uh, there are definitely very solid uh, practices and principles you can apply. And there is this kind of like almost like non-linear serendipitous thing where you, if you just get yourself out there and you stay out there long enough and you're sincere about being a good coach, you, you just, these opportunities pop up and that's happened a lot to me, you know, like I, and I've, um, we can talk more about that later, but I just, I want to emphasize that, that side of it, because it's, um, it, it's actually for me, that's been probably a bigger source of success than, than than leveraging strategies and principles and, and and i think the yeah the game changer is like just coming back to what you're saying like this yeah when you when you like embody the thing you care about most and you speak from that place and you know i was working i had a potential client yesterday and uh you know it's he was just right on my sweet spot and and so it's you know you know, you can just own that with that person. Just say, like, I, I, I love supporting with people like you. You know, that's my purpose. That's where, when I'm, I'm aligned with my purpose, that's where I come alive. And they can feel it. You know? in, in that moment, was it a feeling? How did you know you were in that place with that person? Well, um, because I can feel it. It's a feeling. And, and what, this is... What does it feel like? So it's it's like a feeling of aliveness of um, of of like let me say sensation in my body. There's there's an increase in sensation. Um, there's a feeling of becoming aligned. So it's like there's a there's a kind of um, sense of rightness. 
and 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 like a kind of inner knowing you know that's that's like yes this is this is it and and so there's that alignment that inner knowing that that aliveness yeah sorry to interrupt Joel, but just how did you I, I i can really feel this and it's, it's a beautiful place we're in how did you learn yeah like how does that how did you come to that place where you know this feeling this is the feeling of you're the person i'd love to do some work with well I'd, I'd answer that in two ways. Like the first way, I would say I think it's in an, an innate capacity that that we have, and I think that that we we especially as children, you know, we we are attuned to our to our bodies, and I'm, I'm talking about more than our bodies in this kind of inner knowing. But I think that you know, I think that people listening, they'll they'll all recognize that sense of like rightness, you know, of like yes. This is this is right. This is aligned with who I am, and um, and and so I think there's that innate capacity that we all have. Now I think we um, we have also trained ourselves out of recognizing that to to a, a degree that that in the West since the Enlightenment, and we could talk about this as a whole huge topic. Would it? You know, J- Jamie Wheeler. Lots of things start to connect it. Uh, but, but yeah, I think we've trained ourselves out of, of, um, being embodied, being sensitive. And, and we've, we've, you know, we've come to rely on our, uh, cognitive analytical mind, which in some way separates out from experience and can analyze and, and quantify and, and science has done incredible things. So it's not, it's, it's an, it's, it's not to denigrate it. It's an amazing capacity, but we've become unbalanced. And so expanding our bandwidth and sense, you know, reconnecting to our bodies, reconnect, but it's more than that. It's this felt experience in the moment. So, so the, the body is a great doorway to it, but it's actually, um, it's like, that's the start, you know, it's like learning to trust this kind of, um, this knowingness that's non-conceptual that informs our thinking, but it's more than that. And that, you know, I would say even more than this, that, that as we refine that capacity, that sensitivity to attune to what's here, that can be incredibly powerful in serving our clients. Because when we're sat opposite our clients, you know, we might be feeling like, you know, okay, um, you're talking about this as if you really like want to go there. But, you know, I'm, I'm really sensing like there's this kind of flatness here. Or even, I think it even can lead, lead to even more intuitive kind of insights about what might be going on for that person. So, um, so, so that the second part, you know, I said there's two sides to it. One is, I think there's an innate capacity we have that we can, the second part is that we can recapture or we can enhance, you know. And th- this would be something I would say to coaches like, you know, go on that journey to, to attune yourself as an instrument, to, to refine your sensitivity and um it's it's a joy you know to to not have to just live inside the conceptual mind and rely on that but to to bring these other faculties online which um you know bring a lot of joy and fulfillment and so yeah that that's like maybe a long-winded answer to to like rec you know learning to like not only recognize it in the moment but to, to enhance it, you know, to go into it, to trust it, to embody it, you know, to, cause, cause I think there's a transmission when we can embody that, that, that feeling, that, that alignment 
deep sense of who we are and we become it and then speak it. Now that, this would be me like a game changer in, in rolling clients, you know? Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it was a game changer for me in my coaching. I was thinking about this recently because I saw that yeah, coaches rising, uh, you've just, just started a new version of one of the courses that I did a couple of years ago. It's got a slightly different name now. When I did it, it was coaching from source and now it's about. Yeah. Become a transformative presence. Yeah. 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 And I was, when you were, when that was coming up again, I was thinking, I almost wrote to you actually, because um, I thought I should really send them an amazing testimonial about this course. Um, but then I looked on your website and the testimonials you already had were just as good as what I'd written. There was no need for me to send another one, but it was, you know, it's to say what an impact that had on, me essentially opening up to this thing that you're talking about. And uh, I just got this nice catch, which I don't know if this is where the etymology of the words come, come from, but you talked about the, us being an instrument, right? And the idea of attunement. And I just got that. It's just like, it's really nice. It just feels like that course. And the other work that I did, and I think, you know, Rich Litvin working with him at the time, he's a very presence-based coach. And so I definitely got a lot of it from spending time with him too. But I just am so much more just tuned in, not just to myself, but to the person opposite me, the universe, uh, what's going on in the surroundings. And that has completely transformed my coaching from something which was much more cerebral in the way that you're talking about to something which, you know, I had a, a client of mine asking me, why did you ask that question? Where did that come from? And the only answer you can give is I've got no idea why I asked that particular mm. question. It's just what came out in that moment. And, and that kind of attunement, I, I understand what you're talking about, about feeling right. But I love how it shows up in different ways too. I had a beautiful one where one of my clients was in a really difficult place and her dog was barking in the background. And just what came up was, what's the dog saying? Mm. And she went with it and the dog gave this beautiful, impossibly beautiful advice to her about how to, about what she was facing in the moment. And it's like, well, there's no way that my rational mind would have ever said, yeah, do you know what the clever thing to do here is? Ask about the dog and what it's saying. It's just never going to happen. And instead, it just emerged into an, in a beautiful way. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, that's a great example. Hmm. Um, and, and perhaps, you know, just a, a kind of facet of what we're talking about now is the, the analytical mind is often problem solving. And I think that can be a real trap in coaching. You know, if we, if, if we come into coaching trying to solve problems, you know, the clients often want to solve problems and we might get into, buy into that game of problem solving. And my, for me, that's just when the coaching, the, the, the life, the aliveness drops out of the coaching. And, yeah, and, yeah. and maybe, maybe we could go to that a bit now. I mean, we're talking around coaches rising a bit, actually. Maybe you should just give us, if you could just give us like a brief intro for people who haven't come across it, uh, about it. And then, because I want to ask you about a podcast that you had recently, which I think speaks to what you're talking about right now. Yeah, so, well, Coaches Rising, we uh, started, me, myself and my business partner, Lawrence, uh, and um, now your brother, well, your brother's been working with us as well for the last and been a crucial part of the business growing the last, you and that is, I'm speaking of, for the last seven years or so. And um, yeah, you know, it, it was born out of our, myself and Lawrence's love of coaching and um, the sense of we want to create something and, and somehow we wanted to, we knew we wanted to create it online and um, we got the purpose part of it right. So we, we really learned how to 
um, create content that coaches like. So that's one of the things we, we really want to create content that serves the world's coaching community. We do that through a podcast, through um, different other free offerings, and then we have paid coaching programs. And they're mainly aimed at coaches that I, I would say have gotten their training and wanting to kind of, you know, um, take courses which, you know, take it to a next level. And so, um, yeah, and we learn about running a business the hard way. That's a whole, you know, other conversation we could go in. But that, that's kind of, in a nutshell, what we do. And there's like, you know, now hundreds of coaches joining our programs. And it's very satisfying. So, Yeah. And I mean, for anyone listening, I, I quite often recommend Coaches Rising in all kinds of ways to people. Um, the podcast is pretty, I don't listen to it kind of every time, but it's pretty much the only coaching specific podcast I listen to. Although like from now on, obviously the, the, the other great coaching podcast <laughs> yeah. I listen to is this one. You're a um, rival. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, and, and the, you know, particularly the two most recent programs I've done with you have been both individually and together really powerful. The, uh, transformative presence one, and then the developmental coaching one, which I did this year. That's, we might go on to talking about some of that, you know, that's really changed the way I look at the world and been a part of me cementing into what I feel like is that why I'm here, what I stand for in, in this moment. Mm. So, so that's been great. And I can recommend all that to listeners. Uh, and it's also a great way to, it's good, really good value and a great way to get in rooms with really amazing faculty, uh, which, yeah. which has been one of the, the real pleasures of it for me. I wanted to just zoom us back because it's kind of hanging there. You were talking about the the kind of problem-solving side of our rational mind getting in the way in coaching. And there was this really interesting podcast you had recently, and I can't remember the name of the guest. You all remember it, though. It was, a, it was about neuroscience, and it was this idea that sometimes the goal setting is really the wrong way to go in in coaching, which is a kind of strange thing to say yeah but i want it feels a little similar to the kind of uh just sitting in the rational mind like maybe the maybe the traditional coaching models sit more in the rational mind but what we're learning is in lots of ways there's more to it than that and some of that might be about this neuroscience and the sense that the goals goals isn't necessarily the right way to go yeah yeah, that, I think that was the podcast with Richard Boyatzis, and he's really the expert on the neuroscience here. Um, um, so, so yeah, but but absolutely, yeah. Basically, what they're finding is that, that you know, if you if you move into goal setting, then you can um, oh, what do they call it? Negative neural um, associations or something. I can't remember the term, but it, but basically, it starts to it can have a counter impact to actually what you're wanting it's it's um uh, it's not conducive for for growth and learning um uh, because it can create a sense of um um you you have to live up to these kind of um let, let, let me back up a bit and say like people come in to that coaching and then they want to fix the problems and then they set goals related to fixing those problems and what they found was that was the thing that actually had a, a negative neural impact on the brain and it's interesting surprising in a sense and what yeah. what they found and they've done you know lots of um fri fmri studies and um longitudinal studies but they found that actually visioning was the was the key you know so actually this is great news because i think a lot of coaches do this you know but he what richard was saying is you know spend five minutes 
hearing about why they come into the coaching and of course about um you know like what is this this challenge they're facing but don't stay there because that that can that then starts to reinforce the the kind of negative um neural wiring around that issue so move to visioning and um and then visioning is very conducive to the positive neural um, conditioning in the brain and growth and so spend a lot of time visioning come back to we're coming back to this sense of possibility again mm. you know it, it completely changes our sense of embodiment and, and state in the moment and then we we can take different actions and come up with different possibilities so um yeah you know like and i mean there's so much we could say about that problem solving i think it just um it closes down a transformational potential for me. Uh, we're trying to fix something. It, it basically comes from a sense of there's, a, there's something wrong in this moment. There's a sense of lack. There's something wrong. And there's a place I need to be that's not here. And when I get to that place, then the problem won't be here. So let's fix it. And that all actually creates tension, kind of reifies the, the issue. It's, it's, you, you, you stay stuck. So... Um, there's a way we can take a fundamentally different approach. Uh, I wonder, I don't know if this is related, but I just, there's a question that coaches often ask or wonder about, I think, which is what do you do when your client is stuck? And I'm just wondering if that is connect, like that's partly what might be happening in the, in that moment where the client is really stuck. Well, maybe it's because you kind of, we are accidentally reinforcing the feeling of stuckness that they arrived with something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's all kinds of things we could do to help our client become unstuck. But I remember those sessions that I used to have where I'd really get caught in this problem-solving mode with my clients, you know, and it would almost get kind of strategic or like, oh, what could we do? Like, oh, there's this issue, but this, and it, and it, and you could feel it. You could just, I, I could feel it. I felt stuck, you know. I felt like we were going around in the issue and nothing was really changing. Um, I could feel this tension in my body. That's what I saw in them. And at that, you know, in, in my early days as a coach, I didn't really, I was stuck in like I wanted to help. In those moments, I was caught in a kind of helper mindset. I want to help my clients get out of this place. But actually, I was unwittingly kind of playing their game that there's a problem that needs to be fixed in this moment. So, you know, I've learned not to play that game. I do not want to play a problem-solving game with my clients, and I'm very allergic to that now. So in a, in a very compassionate way, you know, I'll, I'll even, I even bring that up now with my clients. It's a fundamental principle. It's like, oh, we're trying to solve a problem here right now. You know, like, let's just notice that. Not making it wrong, like, oh, you know, because now it's a problem that we're solving problems. But let's just notice that we're doing that. And let's just notice that that's the game we're playing right now. Huh. And what happens when we begin to just notice that? And, and you know, um, well, we could talk about where that takes us. But, you know, coming back to this issue, I think, um, yeah, that, um, well, but, you know, that's my bias. Like, and I think, um, you know, there's a place for, uh, you know, being practical about, okay, what do we do now? You know, like what needs to happen? But I think, um, you know, that always comes out of this new uh, sense of possibility that's come from visioning. Yeah. 
Hmm. So interesting. I guess I, I actually do want to catch that, that, that thing that you said we could go off to just, just a little bit at least to say, what's been your experience then in those moments where you, instead of like you would have in the past more often getting dragged into the possibility, into the solving of the problem, you just notice that instead. What, what tends to happen when you say, huh, yeah. just noticing that we're solving a problem here? So you, what happens is you, you move out of a state of agitation so if they're in that problem-solving mode, you know, it's like you can go round and round and oh, I've got to fix it, but what? So, you know, um, it, it, there's a sense of agitation that can arise. So as you begin to notice just what's here, then, um, then what happens, what emerges is a sense, and, you, and you're, you're curious about what's here. So like, ah, oh, huh. So there's a sense of just acknowledging it, you know, mindfulness, being curious then what starts to happen is it is there's a kind of sense of integration you know it just it's just allowed to be here and then um and then oh, like oh i notice yeah i feel really tense about this thing and i want to solve it and is it okay for that that tension to be here and, and is this how, is this what the client's experience is as yeah. well yeah yeah so that's what they're experiencing so yeah. is it okay for this tension to be here oh yeah actually it is okay oh you know, and it begins to settle and, um, you know, oh, and then now, so you're noticing things are changing. Oh, like, okay. So you feel more presence in your legs and your belly. And then suddenly they're relaxing and they're, they're integrating and they connect to a deeper kind of, you know, that inner knowing can come for them. Oh, so this is what's really here. So they, they, they start to make different, um, associations and, and, um, different, ideas different level of creativity opens up as people begin to relax and integrate uh, you know their experience by noticing what's here and so and then and then that's where that sense of possibility can come online so you know and and for example just to add in a moment it might be like oh i'm not willing to to acknowledge or to i'm not okay to welcome that, that i feel tense right now well is it okay to acknowledge that you know, and so that you can, it's a kind of meta competency of, of, of disidentifying from this problem solving mindset that we often live in. And, 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 and once you disidentify from that and learn, you know, then you can start to live in a kind of creative, resilient place where, you know, and this is the neuroscience back this, backs this up. That's what's cool about what he's saying. Different chemicals start to flood your brain and your, in your body and, and you, you, you say different things, you see different things. Yeah. It's, it's so cool. And what I love at the moment, if you're kind of like that stuff, like we do is that the understanding of those things is just the science behind it is just showing up everywhere. I heard this amazing stuff from is it Peter Levine about the vagal nerve the other day. And I was like, Oh, so yeah, he's saying the same thing. He's saying, it's not really probably not worth me going to the whole story. I'll put a link in the notes or whatever to the video I saw, but he's basically saying, yeah, you can't be in both under threat and in curiosity at the same time, but you can shift. We all know, like I know from experience, it's very easy to shift from curiosity to defensiveness, like an under threat that happens to me quite a lot in my life. I hadn't thought that it is basically as quick to flip back the other way, but in a way, and he talks about how the nervous system works in that way, but in a way, that's what you're talking about there. One of the things, but there's so much going on in what you just said, but I think one of them is you just invite that bit of acceptance and curiosity. And instead of the kind of tension and real pushing that's going on, 
people's nervous systems change, which is really amazing. Yeah. 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 I think it's amazing. One of the things I really like about this conversation so far, Joel, is I can hear, like, I know some of the influences that are coming through you as you speak here. And I remember that one of the reasons that I thought maybe I should reach out to Joel to see if he is taking on clients or whatever. This is probably what we on four years ago was I was like, wow, because he gets to spend all this time in the presence of these amazing thought leaders in the world of coaching. And I guess I'm just curious, like I heard a little bit of Jim Dethmer there maybe in mm. that bit and, and some other people, but I'm wondering who have been the, either through Coaches Rising and that kind of thing, or just in your work more generally, who have been the biggest influences on your work? Yeah. Oh. Well, you know, immediately I think of Doug Silsby yeah. and that, that, you know, brings a kind of, um, uh, touches me, you know, because he passed away last summer, not this summer, just gone, the one before. Um, and he was a beautiful soul and um, an incredible teacher of coaching and an incredible embodiment of a kind of coaching that I love. Um, and so, you know, his presence-based coaching approach um, is something that, that that's influenced me a lot. And he taught in a lot of our programs and, you know, he was someone that I, you know, we always encourage our teachers to do coaching demos online and you just guaranteed have a great coaching demo every time someone would be a really meaningful, poignant coaching demo, you know, where you would just feel the palpable shift that somebody got, you know, and that was a testament to his, to who he was as a person. Um, and, you know, he was the person that 10 years ago um well when we first invited him into our program he said no and we were disappointed because we read his book and we were like this guy's amazing but the second time we invited him and he said yes and he loved it and he was the first person that said what you're doing is is a, is really beautiful and important and i want to be a supporter of it and that meant so much to us as well so there's doug um there's um, somebody at the moment who is, I think, a phenomenal is a guy called Steve March, um, who's a kind of mentor of mine. He's my coach, um, learning so much from him. And I think he's um, his Aletheia coaching approach is, um, I find, very powerful, incredibly powerful and, and, and very much in line with what we've been talking about. So um, it's, it's, I think and there's a new wave of coaching emerging. I think there's a new wave of, um, um, working, you know, with people that's emerging. So, you know, in the therapeutic world, in the spiritual world, in things like circling, you know, this, this inter interpersonal meditational practice, Aletheia coaching has the same thing. It's, it's all about working in, um, attunement in presence and it's not it's non goal oriented so it's like yes there's um we we come in with the deep longings and intentions but then we don't do um you know we don't kind of like try to create this place and then and then work our way to that place through doing practices and you know um and and taking actions we 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 bring in the topic and then you work in presence in the moment and it unfolds and reveals itself. And 
Um, I've been blown away by what happens when I work in this way with my clients as they connect to this, often this sense of wholeness that they were actually looking for. You know, they came into coaching because they felt a sense of lack or, yeah, they felt a calling, you know, they want something, but also there's this sense of lack in there or, and, and um, when we work with that, when we work with what's there in, a mo- in the moment and it unfolds and reveals itself and they connect to this sense of wholeness and they say, oh my God, that's, that's what I've been wanting. And then they start creating from that place, not, you know, that sense of lack's eased and suddenly their deep authenticity comes online. So, so Steve's really taught me about this and, you know, I, I couldn't do his work justice. It's very, he's a kind of genius and, um, um, yeah, you know, the, he continually surprises me with the depth of his knowledge and work. Um, of course, Rich, you know, like how we both connected. I think Rich has been a huge inspiration, um, just for his embodiment around this whole thing around possibility and, you know, I coach very differently from Rich in a way, but I, he, I love Rich as a coach. He's the real deal. He's he's a phenomenal coach, and he can he's a real magician. You know, he can really like bring in that kind of left field question, you know, and then turn you upside down, and you come out and you're like, "What the hell just happened to me?" And you're connected to that deep sense of possibility. So. Yeah, and he's, uh, you know, what he's doing around helping coaches build their businesses as well. Very solid stuff. So I think that would be that. I mean, there's, there's, there's tons, you know, like Thomas Hubel. I'm very inspired by it at the moment. Um, and of course, Jennifer Garvey Berger, mm-hmm. with the developmental coaching work. Really, she was the first person that, you know, developmental theory is something I think is very powerful and important and um but how the hell do you apply that in coaching she was the first person that showed me how to do that so yeah she's she's amazing Uh, i was blown away by her in the course i did with you earlier in the year and like her book the leadership mind traps one is now my like i give it to clients and recommend it to them all the time because it's just so it's such an such a short such a practical such an easy book about such important and complex things yeah uh, and, but and she is a woman it's like yeah really really amazing woman yeah so i guess like there's a couple of things that i'm curious about but maybe maybe the first one if we haven't hit this already just because what you said about steve steve right steve march and yeah. links a bit to my what the impact that jennifer had on me which is there's something about the world right now and what's happening in it and how, and how complex it is. And that was the shift that, you know, I'd always, that was the shift that the developmental coaching course gave me really. You know, I'd always thought that the, the, you know, everyone bangs on about what a complex world we live in. And I'd always kind of thought, Oh, it's just another one of those people's negative biases towards stuff. So it's like everyone needs something to complain about. So they're complaining about how difficult the world is well, yeah, it must be very difficult for you living in your beautiful house in a Western democracy, right? It sounds like a terrible, terrible life you have. And then the course that we did, because it introduced me really to what complexity is uh, in a deeper way and how we as humans really run up against that is 
is actually at the root in some ways of the some some of the challenges that the world is facing right now and i kind of okay i have to say i was wrong about that thing about complexity it it's really complex the world right now and and it feels like that's really linked to what you're saying about the work you've been doing with steve and then influenced by him taking to your clients and because you have this picture, a beautiful picture through Coaches Rising of what these thought leaders are thinking in all kinds of ways from the conversations you have with them. I'm just curious, you know, what what can what do you think at the moment or what are you feeling about the state of the world and how coaching can contribute to that and the shifts that coaching this is a big question, so choose where to start, and the shifts that coaching is going through right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, it's a small, crazy just world. A small it question. feels like, yeah, yeah. It's good because that's often a question I ask people. So <laughs> now I'm on the other end of it, and I'm like, oh yeah, now I know how it feels to be to be asked that. Um, yeah, well, yeah, you know, I, I, I also, I just want to say, I felt the same way about the VUCA world and all of this, like volatile, uncertain, complex. Uh, what's the A sample? I can't remember. Um, and, you know, I thought, oh, there's a kind of jargon and is it really? But I I don't know. Like, it just seems in the last three years or something, you know, mm. it's just like in your face, you know, the kind of chaos that that's, um, uh, seems to be in the world, you know. And um, so I feel uh, like I, I'm not an expert, you know, and I, I have a lot to say on this. I've been thinking about this deeply and I feel that I feel rocked, you know, I feel I've been in moment, I've been times of, in times of despair over the last couple of years where I really felt like, fuck, like what, what are we going to make it? Or what, what are we doing? You know, um, all these crises that we're facing and, and, and we are not getting our shit together. Like we, we, we are, the, the system seems so entrenched that, that, that something radical has got to happen, you know, and I don't see that. Uh, and, and, and of course I, we live in times of incredible possibility and, you know, certain people, I think is it Steven Pinker talked about how things are never better. And I see the truth in that too. But I, um, but but it feels like the world is incredibly complex, and I think um, nobody really knows, you know. Like, and I think that's confront. I I don't know where we're heading, and that's confronting. I have a two month old daughter, and that's added a whole level of of um, poignancy to this world we're in, you know, and. And desire to serve the world so that we do navigate these times. And um, I think, like my my sense is, like that there there's a wave emerging. You know, um, people like Daniel Schmachtenberger, Jordan Hall, Jamie Wheel, Rebel Wisdom, um, Thomas Hubel. I think what we're doing speaks into it. This circling stuff. There's like pockets of islands emerging of people. And you know, there's so much stuff I don't know about, so I want to that I'm not naming. But people who are very interested in collective intelligence, how do we organize ourselves as a species and as as cultures and live in a sustainable way? And I think that 
what we talked about earlier for me is fundamental that we're being we're, we're be, one of the things that's being reflected to us is our is our over um, reliance on our analytical rational minds and um that that they are um wonderful things they've brought us so many wonderful things but you know if you think about dave snowden's work like complicated and complex complicated systems are um they're complicated but we can understand them they're known so we can create best practices and so the you know our minds can do that we can codify and quantify complex environments require a completely different way of being sensing sensing um understanding and then acting you know and and so um so that's where i think you know we need to refine ourselves as an instrument so that we can we can um conduct the intensity of being in a complex environment of being in the unknown we can sense it we can sense what's here what's what's emergent what's like what are the weak signals um can we know can we dare not to know you know and and remain open and curious you know the same with our coaching clients if i want to get somewhere goal oriented I've suddenly changed the landscape, but if I'm sat seeing my client as being complex and emergent, you know, then then I then I, the way I am with them is very different. I think that capacity is being evoked of us as a species as well, you know. So so um, so different kinds of intelligences are becoming important to us, and um, you know, embodiment is one of those. Like embo- being embodied is is one of those. Um, so, so like coaches. Um, so, so that that's one of the things I said I see emerging in the coaching industry, is, is or in the world is this like Heidegger spoke about this attunement to attunement, this era, the poetic era, you know that we that we are in a technological era. These attunements he spoke about are like cultural attunements of the era, and he and he names about seven of them, and the one we're in now he names is the technological era where we're attuned to like the latent kind of capacity of something how can we harness things to you know to to extract the resources from them and so on and then then he's talked about this poetic era this poetic attunement where we attune to attunement itself you know and i think that's what we're talking we we we're we're you know, encircling or in you know i hear daniel jordan hall and guy sangstock talking about this it's like we're learning to attune to what's here right now, to um, to sense to what's emergent, um, uh, to, in order to to be able to respond with more wisdom and compassion. And and, and I think coaches, you know, um, well, I think coaches are are can be equipped to to help leaders. To, to navigate these times, to, to develop the capacities in the way we've just I've just been speaking about to navigate these times. And um uh and when I say leaders, I mean everyone really. I mean whoever you coach, you know, like um helping them to and 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 you know so there's a heaviness to what I'm saying perhaps, but there's actually an incredible aliveness to to expanding that bandwidth, to learning to attune to attunement and feel it. And to be infused by it, you know. So, and, and I think that we've been, talk- in a way, we've been talking about this for most of the conversation in different ways. Certainly, 
when you were describing the prospective client you were speaking to yesterday or the day before, you t- I asked you essentially, how do you know that that's attunement? Or how do you know that you're feeling the right thing in that moment? And it's that was you know that because you've been thinking. How do I know when things are really in alignment and I'm in that yeah. place? And and importantly, and I don't think you meant this, but like it's not thinking. It's like you you right. you you do the injunction. You go there again and again, and you um, you know because you know. Yeah, it's an it's almost like a, an embodied knowing, um, and it's not the same as a rational knowing. Although they 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 connected and they enhance one another. But I think that that distinction, the rational knowing and the embodied knowing, like everyone, people listening, everyone recognizes that. It's like, oh, yeah, I know this thing, but I never act on it or I never do it. And then suddenly something happens in your life. Right. And then you finally know it. Right. And that's a different thing. And then life looks different after that. Yeah. Even though you kind of think, but I kind of always known this the whole time. Why? What's different? And that's that shift that you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious what's here for you after I've shared that because this is um, this is something I, I, I care a lot about. You know, like we are we are in unprecedented times, and the next ten years is going to be who knows what's going to happen. I mean, Margaret Wheatley, I spoke to her recently. She she, she believes we're in collapse. We're in collapse. We're not going to, you know shift into some new era um you know that will that will save the times it's like we need to go into that collapse and then emerge out of it and will we survive as a species in that collapse that's that's debatable um she's that's her opinion but i'm curious what comes up for you yeah yeah like you say it is i mean they are big questions and i like like is probably not the right word, but I find myself drawn to asking them mainly by myself, occasionally in conversation with people. You mentioned Jordan Hall. I had a, so the, the, the kind of insight that I had this year about my work was, we came partly from art of developmental coaching, the sense, oh, the world is complex and like really complex and hard. And these are the ways we run up against that. And this is actually a real thing. It's not a made-up thing. That was the first part. And the second part was I went to a, an event which Jordan Hall was speaking at, or I heard him say, you know, someone asked him, what do we do in the face? Of, so for people who don't know him, he's a kind of weird guy. He was like a tech CEO and then made a load of money from the early internet stuff. And so it's just been for the last, I don't know, decade thinking, essentially, as far as I can tell, about how the world works. And a very interesting thinker, kind of a different like I've been in some rooms with some incredibly clever people, but being in a room with him was something a little bit different. It's like, oh, he's thinking in a completely different way or experience, like he just looks at things very differently. And someone said, what do we do in the face of existential crises? And he said, well, I've been thinking about this for about 10 years. Would you like me to tell you what I've come to? And they, they said, thankfully they said yes. And he said, well, you do two things you work out where in the world, like what your unique mix of gifts and experience are. And then you put yourself in a place in the world so that you can contribute in that way, in the best possible way. And then you do the work essentially so that you are what he calls sovereign, but other people might call different things. But essentially what that means as I understand it is so you can be as skillful and wise and noble in the moment as you can. And what that means is that when you're doing your work in the world, using your gifts and experience, 
you are as sure as you can be that you are making things better and not making things worse. Because if we haven't done the work to be sovereign, we might be reacting from all kinds of past trauma or hunger or any of these things that might be impacting us in that moment. And we don't know why we're doing the thing. But the more sovereign we are, the more aware, the more present we can be, the more sure we can be that we're making things better rather than making things worse. And for me, those two things together, like I, the reason that landed so much for me, well, part, I was grateful because that's what I love doing with my clients, those two things, right? But partly it's because it's a response. It's a, it feels like a valid response to the complexity of the world. I, we can't know exactly what to do. So the best any of us can do is do the best we can. And those two things feel like a really good way of being as sure as we can that we are doing the best we can. Uh, and I think that coaches have a huge role, could have a huge role to play in either or both those things, mm. both as individuals who are developing their own attunement to attunement and all those kind of things, but also as a place that people can be guided and supported on those journeys. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a beautiful, you know, you answered that question to me, like how could coaches play a role? Well, you know, that's for me what a lot of coaches are doing, huh? helping somebody, you know, of course there's all different kinds of coaching, but um, helping somebody to live their full potential, their authentic full potential. And and I think that, you know, that's, that's key. Like that, it, I totally agree with Jordan. And this is what one thing Margaret said to me, it's like serve, you know, how can I serve? Not, not being an activist, you know, and kind of bringing that divisive kind of energy in. Uh, I mean, you know, what do I think about activism? I think there's a probably a place for it, but but serving for me, like really, it's about serving. That's the game changer, and it, you know, f- that's the game changer for me for growing my coaching business too. The more I tune into like, who am I here to serve? How can I serve? Then the the the, the kind of the, I land in that sovereignty, and that when I'm in that sovereignty, I, I care less about. Um, being afraid of enrolling people, you know, and I just get out there and I'm like, okay, I want to coach you. Like, if you want to work with me, like I'm inspired to work with you because I care about what you're up to in the world. I, I serve people like you to play your game in the world. That's what I do, you know, and, and there's a kind of freedom in that, you know, it's like a kind of samurai feeling almost of like, you know, hey, this is who I am. I put my cards on the table. I own it. And if you don't like that and there's someone else better fair play like because i'm i'm in the business of serving you know and you weren't the right person so yeah almost more than fair play like great yeah right right. when i when i'm in the best form it's like oh yeah we both agree right now usually it is these days both you and me and the prospective clients like i had a guy a couple of weeks ago and it was like it feels like you're good now we'd had it it was the second conversation we'd had probably about three and a half hours into speaking it's like we're done. You're done. You're good. We don't need this. We can both go like, perfect. This is better. This is much better than you paying me a few thousand pounds and us having a load of these conversations over the next six months. Just go. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes, yeah, right. If there's somebody else like your CEO of the, of the internet company years ago, if there's someone else who can serve you better, great. Like mm. perfect. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess I'm aware as I'm sharing that, that that's, that's been a relatively recent 
that's been the last two years that's shifted for me and a few things have contributed to it. And I guess I'm, I, you know, I've still got hanging. You said a tantalizing thing, some tantalizing things about being broke and earlier on. And I know there's a funny story about you being broke. Maybe not funny, maybe very, <laughs> but um, which, which uh, I want to get to. And I'm also curious about some of the more, I want to talk a little bit more about coaches rising and there's some also probably some more stuff about just how your business looks right now and, and what it's like to be you. And it's really fun and exciting to play in that place with you of what's happening in the world. But I do want to, I want to bring it back a little bit to you. But before we do that, is there anything else you think that's, that's missing from that conversation that we've just had about, you know, it's, it's been broad ranging about both attunement and that piece and the world more widely. Uh, is there anything that's kind of hanging from that for you? Well, just to say, um, you know, I think it's very powerful as a coach if you can situate the work you do in what's happening in the world right now, you know, and I think that sense of service and purpose sort of come into alignment in that way. You know, it's like, Oh, I, um, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm putting my feelers out into the world. I'm sensing what's happening in the world. I'm listening to people and I'm, um, you know, I, I'm, it's feeding that sense of service and that sense of purpose and, and how I can impact. So I think it's very valuable. I'm saying, you know, that at some point, like you can tune into like how, what I most care about will serve the world. Yeah. It sounds like you're in a place where that is happening for you. You're feeling like you're in that place of service now, some of the time at least. Is, is that oh, yeah. right? And, when, yeah. and what's that like and for you? Well, what does it look like? It's a big, you know, so this is a big thing. And actually, this is what, this is the work I like to do with my clients right now. So, so there's this sense of um, created purpose, yeah, that we can like, um, you know, I talked about victimhood. And then there's this point where it's like, well, what do I want to create in my life? What do I want to be? And that's really powerful. Yeah. And um, at, at some point, I, in my own life, I started to see that that was a kind of sense of precariousness behind that. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, um, it's been really great for me to learn how to create things and to, to become empowered. But in some way, I was, um, I, was, I was kind of, in a sense, like looking for control or completion. Now, what I mean by that is like, oh, if I, you know, and so like I say, it's in some way, not the whole thing, but some part of me was like, okay, if I can master life, control life, you know, then I won't have to worry about money. Like there'll be no insecurity, um, you know, and then I'll have made it, you know, I'll get to that place where I'm complete. I've done all my development and I'm invincible. You know, I didn't, that, those weren't explicit thoughts. Yeah. But underneath that, there was a, there was a fear of death and my own precariousness in a sense. Now, what happened was somehow I, I just, um, I, I saw like there was, there was some kind of drive in that, you know, that creating my life, there was some kind of driving and striving, uh, trying to control life, trying to complete myself that it, I started to, I couldn't believe in it anymore. Like it, it didn't, I, I could feel there was something a bit deadening about it. 
Um, and and so I became very interested in like surrender. So like, um, what what is it that life wants with me? And you'll recognize that question from Jim Dethmer. But I think a lot of people are asking this question now. What is it? What is it that life wants with me? You know, I've create I've created what I want with life, and I've gotten success, and that's been great. Um, and, and it's, and it, you know, it's a transcendent include, I still use that capacity, but it's like, now it's like, okay, I want to, I want to, what does life want with me? And that took me into an incredibly rewarding and meaningful journey, you know, of, of like, and this is where I think I come back to the question you asked was like, what's it, what's it like for you? That I can't remember how you phrased it, but, but, um, I started to, to kind of, um, recognize there were these moments where I let go, you know, I like that part of me that wanted to create and control life, let go. And, and, and something, and I think we're coming back to some of the similar points we made earlier, but something would come through me in those moments. And, I, and, and, and it was exhilarating and I wasn't trying to control things and I wasn't kind of trying to control the coaching I was doing with the person in that moment. And again, I could feel that sense of, aliveness that sense of alignment of like yes this is it and 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 so i started to learn to kind of um have that or or, or through practice that that became more and more available and that's one of the things i like to do with my clients so it's like these people that have created a lot of conventional success and there there's still something missing and and they're ready to kind of in some way surrender into life and what life wants with them and express their purpose in that way to serve in that way. For me, that's where my true sense of service came online. You know, it was like, yeah. And, and what diminishes is a, is a sort of sense of self in those moments. And what I mean by that is like, um, you know, a referential sense of self that's checking, like, is this okay? Or, you know, and I find myself becoming bold and, and, and fierce. Now, yeah, I, I be careful there. I don't want to say that it comes out in any particular ways because it can come out in, in the, in a tear or in a, in softness or, you know, it, it, but like, it's like, there's a, there's just a spontaneity and a freshness of expression in those moments. And that's what I want more and more of. I want to, you know, this is the, I want to die like on my deathbed. I want I want to be like my, my, my like eyes are burning fierce, you know, with like, like I live my life, you know, I, I gave everything. Like I surrendered to what life wanted with me. And maybe I'm like worn and old. I have this image of like Ragnar Lothbrok from the Vikings series, you know? And he's like, you know, towards the end of the series where he's in it, he's like, he's worn, you know, but he lived his life, you know, he lived and you can see it in his eyes. It's like they're burning with, with something like, He's been touched, you know, he, he's been used, like well used. And that's, that's what I want to, that's what I want. That's the way I want to go out of my life, you know? So, um, so, so yeah, that's the, that's the work I want, I do with my clients and a lot of them have, you know, been very successful in the, in growth. A lot of entrepreneurs, I you know, coach entrepreneurs. Yeah. And I think that this is really important because that shift, you know, some of the work that we did uh, together was helping me through that that kind of some my similar version of that shift but i think for people who haven't experienced that or, or necessarily much it's hard to, it's like if i'm not controlling it 
what will happen in the world. But like, I'm like, I know what happened for me, which is loads of great stuff. Right. But I think, I wonder if you could just talk about either what's changed for you as you've like, it's a bit like not attachment to the, it's a bit like the goals conversation, the dream versus goals conversation. It's like, if you're attached to the, to the goals, you might get the goals, but they might not be the right thing. But if you dream, who knows what you get. And sometimes all of those goals and more show up or something better shows up. So I imagine that for you personally and with your clients, that's the experience you've had because that's been what it's been like for me as you've got more into that surrender, ask those questions. What is the world asking? What is life asking more and more? But can you speak to that a little bit, either with some clients or with what's changed in for your own life in the kind of what might look like more traditional success, but has come from this place? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it, it feels like in some ways it's, it's hard to say. Um, and in another way, it's like everything, you know, it's like, it's all, it's all like, feels like an expression of that. Um, well, one way in might be what's, what does your business look like now? Like what's work, what's going on for you in your work right now? Yeah. Well, yeah. And I, and I think that's a good question. And I think it will, it will like allow me to, to kind of answer that question you posed, you know? Um, well, what, what's going on for me in my work like is that it um, gives me an incredible amount of energy and it doesn't feel like work. And I feel deeply privileged to be doing it. And so I, um, I'm, you know, I'm doing my coaching with my clients. And um, and how does that look these days? Is it is it still with Think? Is it with other things as well? A whole mixture of things. Yeah, interestingly, so so Think is this creative leadership school where I've really like honed my craft over the last five years, six years, working with a real variety of people. And I actually stepped out for a class because. They run these, you know, cohorts every six months, and I, I've done a lot of them. And I stepped out because of the birth of my daughter. And so, interestingly, you know, what happens with life is that suddenly I've got l- way more clients, like private private clients. I mean, they're all, you know, way more individual clients coming to me. Um, so that's hard because I made a commitment that I'm, you know, I'm going to be spending quite a bit of time with my daughter for a while. Oh, and and what just yeah why do you think like can you track why those people are showing up now is it just life going nope do some work Joel or like what's well I I, I don't know like I actually don't know it's like I, I put on my website online recently and um where I updated my website actually I didn't have a coaching website for years and didn't need one um and then someone found me through that you know which I find kind of random um I, I think it's, you know, I, I, I could say like, I think it's, it's like this, a case of landing deeper and deeper into that sense of who I am and that, the, the work, the sovereignty we spoke about. Um, but I, but I, you know, I know that's a speculation on one level. Like, I, I don't know, but I think, I think it's also, um, you know, my coaching is just deepening and deepening. So um, I am getting ref- people referring uh, people more and more. Um, 
yeah, you know, like that, that's like after a while that the ecosystems just built. And so, and, uh, you know, they say like you create space and then something can come in to fill that space. And I've definitely, that's been true for me in my life, you know, yeah. like I quit that job in the bank, you know, and then the next day that project came in. Yeah. It feels like that again in this story, doesn't it? Yeah. So, so that, so, um, yeah, I, I've stepped out, I think, but I'll, I'll, I'm, who knows? I think I'm, I'm, I'm planned to step back in. Um, and they, therefore I end up coaching, you know, four or five people every six months there. And I have some rainmakers, you know, like people that, that just love what I do and refer me to other, like, you know, companies like booking.com and Siemens and places like that. And then, um, I run coaches rising, which is really growing this year. And, um, you know, that's incredibly exciting for me. And, and I get paid for it. One of the things I get paid for there is either thinking of new, exciting programs to create or interviewing people, interviewing amazing people. And that gives me a lot of energy. So that on a practical level, that's what I'm spending my time doing. And I've, there's a lot of freedom in that. And in between, I've got my daughter and, um, yeah. And I guess in terms of coaches rising that's a different kind of entrepreneurial journey right to uh, in some ways i imagine to the you know building a coaching practice in its simplest form yeah there's i guess there's been some decisions about doing both of those things together and i'm curious about those and also what you've kind of learned about both those things from each other if that makes yeah. sense yeah, I do think they're different and there are some similarities. I think that, uh, you know, that same principle of, of like, go, go big, like own your, your biggest dream, like your, your, your deepest calling and then create from that. That's, that's, um, something that, that will empower you as a coach, but also empowered as a coach is rising. You know, we, we were like two young kind of, you know, upstarts and uh, quite naive, you know, didn't know anything about making money in our late 20s. And, um, but one thing we did was we were like, okay, let's just create this big summit, you know. And well, what, what we found was that the bigger you play, the more the big players want to play with you, you know. So one of the things with Coaches Rising is we, we connect like coaches with these, you know, people like Jennifer Garvey Berger, you know, real masters of the craft so they can learn from them online. And so, yeah, you know, the bigger you, you play, the more people want to play with you. And it's like, they're excited to, to do that. And um, so I think that's been fundamental. I think, you know, an, another um, thing is just like being determined or, or like grit, you know, um, to use Angela Duckworth. I think it was her research into that but just being stubborn, like staying in the, staying the course you know, through the failures. Um, I think, um, I think what, what else would I, you know, I, I mean, a lot of what I would, and a lot of what I would suggest comes back to um, that, the, the thing we've been talking about the whole conversation, really that sovereignty. And then, you know, they think there's, there's just like, you know more on a, the outer game just kind of learning how to to speak to to your potential client in a way that speaks to what they care about um not necessarily 
selling them a coach training or selling them coaching, but selling them, you know, like enrolling them in their dreams or in what they want, you know? So, so like learning the art of enrollment, I think has been, and that, that is an art that I do not have down to the level I want, but oh man, I'm so much better at that than I used to be. And, uh, you know, I imagine you may have already said this. And so, you know, answer as, as much detail as you want, but what has made you better? What, what, what's the difference between how good you are at enrolling now and, and how you used to be? Well, learning that, you know, it's really not about selling. It's like the enrollment is about being a coach, you know, that enrollment is about, um, is about like, so, so this approach that Rich Litvin introduced to, to me and to you, to many, many other people, but, you know, like getting into a deep, powerful coaching conversation with someone and, um, and, and, and giving them a taste of, of what you can do and taking them into a, a shift, you know, and, 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 and through that, like eliciting their deepest dreams and, 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 you know, having them land in the sense of possibility that they've never, perhaps never had in their lives before, you know, and then, so, 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 so going there, and then only when you've been there, then saying, well, would now be, this feels like it could be the right time to talk about working together. Would that be something that's interesting to you? So not, you know, not doing one of these taster sessions. Yeah. What did you used to do that, that didn't work as well? Um, well, I, I just didn't do a lot of stuff, you know, I didn't, I didn't dare to reach out to some people and say, Hey, you know, I, I love what you're up to and I'd love to invite you into a coaching conversation. No strings attached, but this is what I do sometimes with people. And then we, we have a powerful conversation. Sometimes those people become clients, but with this is, you know, I just want to get into that conversation with you. I didn't dare to do that. Um, you know, I talk a lot about like what my coaching was. You know, in a way I've done that quite a lot today. You know, we've talked about how that, Maybe that's, in, I think that's interesting for, I love hearing about how people yeah. coach, but I don't do that with my clients. You know, in these, in these enrollment conversations, we coach, we, we go, we coach, you know? And so I, but I used to talk about a lot about the, the kind of practical parts of it. And, and then, you know, I'd be like, um, I just had a really crappy sense of like money, you know, I'd be like really nervous, like, you know, and, um, charge amounts that really weren't sustainable to live from yeah. and, and, um, and let, yeah yeah let's let's go there Charles. i need to tell you why i want to ask you about the the money yeah. jar which is essentially what oh yeah yeah, yeah. Is. So, so i want to ask you about that the reason for that is um so i sent out to you i think i think that uh, other podcasters sometimes do this as well I, to all the guests i sent a request for talking points but the reason i did that or the reason that the question is phrased like that is that my brother ewan who who is a friend of yours um, which is how we first met. Um, he, he once said, has Joel ever told you about the money jar? This was like separate to the podcast completely. And I was like, no, this sounds great. And then I asked you the question and you put it number one on the list of talking. Oh, about. cool. So, right, okay. Because we picked it up. Like, so yeah. now, now it's I know. Like, this story is like, you know, <laughs> the worst end to a podcast of all time. We're going to get to, but, um, but just like, because you're talking about the crappy sense of money and because money is something that so many of us wrestle with in different ways. And you earlier on spoke uh, about how you've been broke 
and you've realized it wasn't like you didn't die, you know, and that right. you saw things from that place. And it's interesting. Uh, Minor Arius, another guest who I interviewed already, he spoke about getting to a point of essentially bankruptcy in his coaching business, which is like, I mean, that's serious, right? It's not fun at the time, but there's something that comes from that. So I just wondered if you could just speak a little bit about that. Yeah. You mean my journey with money? Yeah. Maybe well, starting from you know, the money chair. Yeah, I will. I will. In case, uh, just in case it's a good story and not yeah, a terrible no, no. Well, look, what I would say is this, like, like I, I was like broke for like you know, 12 years. Like after I left university, I was like 13 years, you know? And I remember like being like my, my, I have some entrepreneur friends who were like doing pretty well. And I just remember be, working for them, you know, and going, what the hell? Like, this is like, when is it going to turn around? When is it going to change? And, now I am blown, you know, I don't want to boast, but I, like things are amazing. You know, yeah. things are, are incredible financially. And um, I say that because um, I, I want to give hope, I can encourage people, you know, like that if you, if you, if you're sincere, you dedicate yourself to the craft and, and put the time in, you can really turn things around. Like things are amazing. Things are possible. Um, well, let me come back to the money jar story. Well, it, it was just basically uh, the with coaches rising, we created our first product, and we spent all, it's like all classic classic entrepreneurial mistakes. We spent um, hours and hours, weeks, kind of um, creating this product, building up to this launch, and you know, very naively thinking like I'm going to sell thousands of units here. It was like a program for coaches. It wasn't. I wasn't, it wasn't a coaching program for my individual clients and, um, you know, like hit that send button and, um, then watched, you know, like the sales trickle in like, like 15, 20, 25 or something. And, um, you know, basically we didn't make any money out of it at all. And I had this, had this money jar that I'd been putting, um, like my change into, over the time I'd been in Amsterdam and um, like that, the, that was the, the money jar is I had to live out of that money jar for like, I think I like managed like three, four weeks or something. Um, so every time I needed to buy something, shop food, you know, basically it was food. Um, I was able to dip into that money jar and um, that was a, that was a, that was a hard lesson, you know, and, and it was, um, I was okay, you know, I was okay, had that money jar. So that's been my story over the years to, to, I used to work a long time ago with like sort of beginning entrepreneurs. And I would always tell that story about the money jar, you know, because it is a great example of like not really testing things out, you know, pinning all your hopes into one thing. And we learned a lot from that failure. So yeah, hopefully that's uh is that the first time you're hearing that story? I don't know that story. Yeah, you never told me that. Right. That would have helped so much, Joel. Why didn't you tell me it? No, yeah. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> exactly. I feel like it's a bit of, a, <laughs> bit of an anti-climax after this, you know. After, um, well, after we've talked about the state of the world and how it's fallen right. to bits, and then we're back to the money jar now. Yeah, like, but it became like a bit of a running gag, you know, because it'd be like, that was that was the money jar. And it was like my friend, you know, like yeah. the money jar. It, kept, it, it sustained me, so... Yeah, but and I think this like we're laughing about it a bit, but there's also something really important about 
this well there's lots of important things but it's like you have to go through those 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 times and you kind of started the conversation saying all of this in some ways came from a difficult time in your life it's kind of serious as well these things both when the the difficult things in your life lead on to good stuff but they're difficult at the time and the money jar is partly a running joke but it's also partly a serious and i imagine difficult time yeah i mean i remember i remember being in tears you know um this was a bit after that and i you know i was with my one of my um ex-girlfriends i was living with at the time you know and just being in tears about what a struggle it was so hard you know and and i think um yeah you know and i think as coaches we can we can end up in that place where it's like this isn't working and uh and it's and it, we, we're struggling to put food on the table or pay the bills, you know. Unfortunately, at the time I didn't have kids or anything like that, you know. That I can't imagine what that must be like when you've got a family to to support. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I think I I just I'm not quite sure what I want to say with that, but it's like I just I sympathize with anyone who's in that place, you know. Yeah. Where it's like you know I, this isn't working for me it's something i care about so much wanting to be a coach but it's like i'm not ma- i'm not making any money out of it and um I, I i my my story ended up good you know like it ended up fantastic like i and, and maybe that's where to go i mean I, I think you've touched on this or we've touched on this in different ways across this whole conversation but yeah i've had moments like that as well where it's like, I care about this a lot, so much, and it's not working, doesn't feel like it's working right now. What are the, are there two or three things that feel like if you could, if you were speaking to somebody in that situation right now, advice you'd give them for what to do, reassurance, like what would you say to, to yourself, if that's useful or to just somebody else out there? Well, well, um, I would say probably a few things. Um, I would say, you know, that you'll look back. I wouldn't say this necessarily to the person. It wouldn't be the first thing I would say for sure. I would really want to, um, yeah, it definitely wouldn't. But what I, one thing would be for me, I look back on that situation was very formative. You know, that was transformational at the time. It was, it was very difficult, but it was the making of me. You know, it was the, it was the, it was part of the making of me because at some point I was like, I, I have to do something different. This isn't working and I can't keep collapsing, you know, and, and, um, kind of complaining. I want to get my shit together. This is a decision that was made, you know, and the new, new actions came out of that. So, so that, that was one thing would be, it's very, it's actually was very transformational. The other thing now that's one of the things I did in that moment. That's where I started the painting business. Uh, was like, wow, well, put some food on the table, you know. Like, actually, it sucks to be in that, in that survival place. So, if you, if you're still developing the kind of entrepreneurial acumen to grow a coaching business, why not do that alongside something else? You know, well, that's what I did, yeah, and that worked for me because actually, painting houses in Amsterdam is very lucrative that's what i discovered i was like holy crap like you get paid quite well here 
And so, um, you know, I, I, I built a, I started undercutting my competitors a bit and therefore getting more gigs in, employing people. And, th- and alongside of that, still growing coaches rising and my coaching practice. So put the, you know, don't be afraid to like put the money on the table. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a great, that's certainly massively helped me when you just go through those difficult times, the cycles. It's great if your whole livelihood doesn't, you know, the ability to pay the rent doesn't rest on whether somebody says yes or no to you as a client. Like if, yeah. if when it does, like you said earlier on, that's really tricky. Right. So, so that's really fundamental, like learn the art of enrollment, you know? And, and so I would say just to build on what you're saying there, it's like um, learn that it's the, to, to accept those no's, like learn to get in the game, play a game. Like this is why I love the work of Rich Litvin, Steve Chandler. Um, Carrie Granger is someone that I, I had a great conversation with about enrollment recently. So like, you know, I was a bit stupid really. Like go, go to, and th- you know, I think you might agree. Like this is why I like that you're supporting coaches. It's like go, go, to, go to a coach who's built a coaching practice and and learn from them about how they did it you know that will save you that will save you years of sh- struggle i did not get my head around that one and i don't think they were really out there as much as they are these days there's a lot of people selling um marketing and 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 like you know hey make a six figure in six weeks and they they're not actually they're, they're not coaches they they're like marketing experts they never built a coaching practice now i don't know for sure if they're then maybe they can help some people, but I, I want to know from the real people, the real coaches who built a coaching practice, like Carrie Granger built a seven figure coaching business in 18 months. Yeah. She was someone that we wanted to get in our business as um, uh, a host, you know, hosting the programs. We That's really important. I want high caliber people hosting the teachers within like one program she was like, I, I can't do it anymore. My coaching business is like taken off. Then a year later, she was like, I've got like, I don't know, like eight people, 10, 10 coaches working for me now in my company. So, um, you know, like you can learn. And she talks about, she talks about very important principles in enrollment conversation. We've mentioned them, you know, coach people, learn to coach people, um, learn to practice speaking out your, your fees. You know, don't go in cold and, yeah. um, and, and, um, yeah, I guess that we could have a whole conversation. That's thing, something about money there where, you know, it's like that journey with money is, is such a deep one. But now when I look, when I look back now about what I charge, you know, it's like that five years ago, I would have felt very uncomfortable charging that. And, um, you know, rich has encouraged us to put our fees up. And sometimes I have question marks about that high fee paying game where it's like higher and higher and higher you know but um i think it's it's something to you know it's a it's a real edge transformational edge go into your relationship with money and you, if you put your fees up you will do so yeah. when you tell someone your fees then shut up don't and it's not just your relationship with money right it's your relationship with yourself and how you right. think about yourself and your self-worth and all those things yeah it's definitely another part of the part of the journey just one little thing I said there was like, say your fees and then shut up. What I mean by that is like, you know, when you say it's 5,000 euros to work with me for six months, 
you know, that's then don't, you know, what I used to do would be like, yeah. And, you know, so, uh, no, and I would just be like kind of uncomfortable with it. Well, I'll be professional own your fees. Like, yeah, it's 5,000 euros for six months. And this is how many times we're going to meet, you know, and what you're paying for is that, that vision you've told me about. That's where we're going to go. That's what we're going to create. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we're in some ways, you know, um, this is a whole other conversation. There's a hot, so many things here that could serve people that we kind of, we, we, and I think we talked about some really beautiful things. Um, and maybe you cover some of these topics in more depth with your other speakers. Yeah. Well, I guess it does feel like we're coming towards the end of our time. It's been really like wonderful, I guess. Is there anything else that feels, and yeah, you and I, especially, especially because we've been talking about the state of the world and all those things. Yeah. I'm sure we could record another two or three lengthy, conversations like this and we could get into the real minutiae of these things and there's bits of your story that we haven't heard and all those kind of things but is there anything particular before we draw the conversation to a close that you want to share that's important to well i just recap no i will just say very quickly like in one sentence but like if i was to say do two things if you if you're a coach and you are new to coaching well three things like coach your ass off get you know become a great coach bottom bottom line um but but it would be like the two things we've just been talking about today like one what is that thing that you care about most in your life that what what is the what is it you feel called the service you call feel called to have you know the impact you want to have in the world like connect to that speak from that place that's the inner game and then two like go and learn from from you robbie like or from rich or from someone like what what are some of these principles that you can learn you can apply in enrollment and and they will speed things up no end that'd be the two things i would do beautiful a great way to end the conversation joel look it's been such a pleasure to have you on uh wonderful conversation in so many ways uh and yeah i'm very grateful that you agreed to do it and that you've made the time even when your little daughter is only two months old and the business is running and all those kind of things so yeah look thanks so much yeah, it's been a real pleasure. I really enjoyed myself, Robbie. Thanks. Yeah, it's great. Until next time, Joel. Thanks so much. Mm. Yeah.